Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. Welcome back to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm here today with Tristan Katz. Tristan is a writer and equity inclusion facilitator who specializes in justice-focused marketing for yoga and wellness professionals, along with teaching workshops and trainings that are centered around queer identity and transgender awareness with an anti-oppression and intersectional lens. Tristan was named one of Yoga Journal's 2021 Game Changers. Welcome to the show, Tristan. Thank you, Kate. It's really great to be here with you. Yeah, it's so great to have you. Tristan and I first met many years ago in yoga teacher training land. Yes. (laughs) And so it's been so cool to just watch the evolution of your work. Just from what I've seen, it seems like it's really taken off and you've found a lot of really awesome and specific ways of centering your message. So I'm really excited to hear more today. Yeah, thank you. It certainly has shifted and grown in completely unexpected ways, but it's it's really great to to be here in this moment and to look back and see how it was all connected. I love that. I love watching the thread unfold, right? And yeah. the things we just don't know until they're coming together. So, okay, cool. I can't wait to hear a bit more about your story. So I always like to start these interviews because this podcast at least begins the conversation with talking about scarcity mindset and how that is kind of woven throughout the culture and internalized by us and all of the things. So I always like to start by asking, what does scarcity mindset mean to you? Mm. Many things come to mind, some of which are directly related to the phrase scarcity mindset and some of which feel tangentially related, like hustle, grind culture, Mm -hmm. overworking, urgency, lack of self-trust. I'm trying to think about what else. Not resting. (laughs) Right? Like not understanding that we deserve to rest simply by being human beings and that it's not something we have to earn um, or like work towards. Yeah. Those are definitely some of the things that come to mind. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned all of those because those are also the things I think about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's such an interesting phrase that I think has been put in so many different frames before this that that's not everyone's immediate association. But yeah, to me, those are all extremely related, right? Because that's what's driving the hustle culture. That's what's driving us to feel like we can never quite be enough or do enough or all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few specifics I'm hoping we'll get into today, but maybe we could just start with if you could share a little bit more about how your work has evolved in the last few years and what you're up to now, what you're most excited about right now in your work. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. So when I uh met you originally i was i think i was either finishing teacher training with the idea of probably becoming a yoga teacher and i was starting to manage the lead trainers business and i was doing that because i had spent almost a decade at that point managing my father's business and he was in the he was an educator in the construction industry for several decades and He traveled around the country doing all day events, teaching on best practices and tools and techniques. And I was essentially for years, like his marketing person, his event coordinator, communicating with the attendees, you know, figuring out the continuing education logistics, updating the websites, designing the marketing assets. Like I was doing all of it so that he could just show up and teach. Um, Yeah. And suddenly I realized around the time of finishing teacher training that I could take those skills and work with yoga teachers. And it felt like it was really needed because yoga teachers aren't generally 
business savvy, I'll just say. Like yeah. suddenly you're like, you finish teacher training and if you want to teach and earn money, you become an entrepreneur and like we're not all given skills or training around what that looks like and how to do it. And I know from indirect experience of witnessing so many yoga teachers kind of run themselves ragged into the ground trying to like check all the boxes and hold all the wear all the hats. I thought, oh, what if I could support yoga teachers to just show up fully so that I could mm. I could do all the back end stuff and they could just come and enter the space and teach and hold the space. And I started doing that with that teacher that we connected through, which wasn't a great fit, as you know. And I found too that teaching yoga wasn't a great fit for me. I couldn't get out of teacher brain and teacher mode. And every time I was taking a workshop or a yoga class or a a retreat or an immersion, and I was like going all in to studying, I couldn't absorb, like I couldn't get the nourishment. I just felt like I was constantly looking to like understand what I could take away and bring into my classes or how I could improve my language or my sequencing. And I couldn't connect to the magic that brought me into the practice in the first place. And so I quit teaching yoga and decided around that time as my father was talking about retiring to launch my own business supporting yoga teachers. And it started as website design and graphic design and event coordination. And I was helping a bunch of folks local to Portland, Oregon with retreats and workshops and all the logistical backend admin and marketing stuff. And I really, really wanted to get involved in supporting yoga teachers in particular who were working in the realm of social justice and who were bringing social justice work into the conversation about uh, about yoga teachings beyond asana. And at the time, I happened to take a workshop in person with Michelle Cassandra Johnson, who um, published the book Skill in Action, Radicalizing Your Yoga Practice to Create a Just World. And her book and her work shifted everything for me. And she needed a support person. And so I gave her my business card and put my hand in the air and we connected and everything started to evolve from there. She really like her work has touched me so deeply and changed me personally and really helped me shift and grow my work in a whole new direction. After a, a couple of years of working with her and, and helping her grow her body of work, her her books, her trainings, her marketing, her website, I was helping her with all the things. She said, you know, she could see that I was really interested in the conversation around, uh, for lack of a better word, inclusion for queer folks in yoga spaces. Um, Because I had seen so much that we weren't, generally speaking, talking about who was in the space and who wasn't in the yoga space and the assumptions we were making about other people. And it was coming up for me personally in a lot of settings and retreats and, and intimate workshops you know, things like I started advocating that we start introducing ourselves with our names and pronouns at the start of some of these workshop offerings. And the teachers that I was talking with at the time were like, wait, why? Like, I don't understand. Why do we have to share our pronouns? Mine are just assumed correctly. So like, it's not a problem for me. And I was saying, you know, we need to do this work now to create a culture shift so that when trans folks come into the space, when non-binary folks come into the space, that they can feel seen and affirmed. Um, and I was not yet understanding that I was advocating for myself because I I didn't yet understand my gender identity as being something other than woman. And so I was through my work and personal practice having to contend with like, okay, so I'm advocating and I'm educating, but I'm what, where do I fit into this? I knew I was queer in terms of my sexual orientation, but I hadn't yet questioned my gender. And when I started to question my gender, it kind of positioned me to do this, the work that I now do. Michelle saw this like journey that I was on and she saw that I was passionate about this. And she said, do you want to teach a module in one of my trainings? Um, on queer inclusion for yoga teachers. And I was just like, yes, I'm terrified. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And so it, that kind of catapulted me into becoming a teacher in a new way, which I didn't see coming. And I, since then, that was, I think the work, first workshop I taught was in 2020 after COVID started. And since 2020, I've slowly moved after move over time, 
removed all the admin work, all the support work, all the marketing work from my plate. And now I'm really focused on growing the educational offerings that I provide. So it was this funny thing where like, I thought I was behind the behind the scenes support person. I thought that is who I'm supposed to be. It's I'm really skilled at it. It comes naturally. I never thought I was the person who would be in front of a room of people teaching. I just Mm -hmm. didn't think that was my path. But now I'm finding like, surprise, (laughs) this is exactly (laughs) where I want to be. It lights me up. It nourishes me. It feels easy in some ways. In other ways, it's very challenging, but in a like growth oriented, challenging way. Um, And so I've basically taken all the work I've done um, studying social justice, you know, investigating my identities, investigating my privileges, understanding the ways in which I'm experiencing oppression or marginalization. And I've taken all of that lens to both inform the queer and trans inclusion work that I do, and also to inform the marketing work that I do, which I I don't think that we can talk about taking up space in the world to grow our work without reflecting on our identities and how our identities impact others and how power plays out in spaces and the ways in which we could be contributing to harm, perpetuating harm, or furthering the conversation about justice and healing and equity and liberation. So I'm taking all of that and combining it into um, what I call justice-focused marketing or marketing through a justice lens, and I teach that um, as one kind of arm of my work, and then the queer and trans inclusion is another arm of my work. And I, I think that, you know, when I think I hear your question, like, what is it that you're now most excited about? And I'm really at this place of like, I feel like I've made so many shifts over the last couple of years of saying like, no more of that. It doesn't light me up anymore. Like it started when I said, I don't want to teach asana classes, you know, like that doesn't nourish me. And then managing marketing for other people. Nope, that doesn't nourish me anymore. Event coordination. Nope, doesn't nourish me anymore. So I'm really at this place where I've removed all these things from my plate to make space for what's next. And I'm not, I'm very comfortable where I am. Like everything I'm doing lights me up and nourishes me, but I also feel like something else is coming and I don't know what it is yet. And it might be the book project, but we'll see once I get back into it. Cause I kind of had to pause all my writing for a little while and I'm hoping to resume that in the coming months. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love hearing the whole evolution and yeah, the journey that you've been on and that orientation that you were just describing of tuning into what nourishes you and slowly kind of eliminating the things that are probably fine, right? There's sort of that, uh, sometimes I refer back to the the Gay Hendricks zone of genius model, just mm-hmm. because it makes a lot of sense, right? Where we get kind of trapped in the zone of excellence, which is like those things that you do really well that you can get paid for. And in some ways they feel a lot safer, right? Because you know you can get paid and in some ways they're not as vulnerable because you're not really putting forth your the deepest part of you that is really the part that wants to come out. But when it comes out, it can be really scary. So it's really wonderful to hear that you've been able to share that, be successful with that and start listening to it and honoring it. Yeah, thank you. It does feel like it's been really challenging to separate the narratives that I've internalized around, I mean, really back to scarcity mindset and hustle culture. Like I really was taught, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, especially in the first few years of your business, you've got to be working like all day, every day, no time off, work on the, work in the evenings, work on the weekends, just to make it all happen. Right. And so When I noticed, I think it was March 2021 that I first started identifying signs of burnout Um, and I started working with a business coach and she basically reflected back to me that I was miserable (laughs) doing all of this stuff that I told myself I had to do in order to make ends meet financially. And she said to me, she kind of challenged me to think about what would it be like to let go of those things and lean into this other work that's waiting for you this education work, this facilitation work, it's just there, but you're not giving it enough space to breathe or come to life because you're you're so exhausted doing all this stuff that, quote, pays your bills, right? But this other stuff will pay your bills if you give it some, some water and nourishment, you know? Um, and so it, it has been a really big process for me to, to trust, right? And not in a like, oh, I can manifest this and abundance, like, 
sure, those things can be true, but there's also a lot of factors going on into abundance mindset and into manifesting, right? And I think a big part of what I'm starting to learn is that I think that I can trust when I say no more to something that is draining me, it is going to give me space to create something that's more aligned. And that thing will make the money that I need in order to thrive and feed me in a different way too. But it's it's a constant practice. Yeah. Yes. And I see this all the time. I would love to hear more about what the practice uh, is for you. I know you work with entrepreneurs too. So when you see people at that stage where it's almost like that leap of faith moment where they're saying, okay, well, my current bread and butter or my current stability is over here and it's making me miserable. And I'm starting to see where I could go. And sure, theoretically, I could make money doing that, but making that leap for people is really scary. So I'd love to hear more about either how you made that work or if you have um, yeah, things that people could take away to integrate as like, this is how you might start taking those steps toward trust and towards the practice. Yeah, I, I, this is definitely something that I'm exploring for myself and with certain um, students, clients, people that come through my spaces and offerings. Um, and I want to give a shout out to the business coach I mentioned earlier, who I worked with. Her name is Brooke Monahan, and she has a podcast called Transcend Your Dichotomy. And mm-hmm. uh Um, Brooke's podcast and Brooke's work has taught me a lot about um, burnout uh, and how we get caught up in, this is how I think of it at least, is like, it's like a nervous system addiction cycle. And you don't, I don't even see that I'm in the cycle when I'm in it because my nervous system is so swept up in it that all I, I can't think like, oh, I need to rest or I need to remove things from my plate in order to give myself more space in order to create and vision and, and come back to trust. All I can think is, no, got to keep working, got to keep working. I need to work harder. I need to work more. I'm not doing enough. And I see this so much come up in other folks who come to me and say, I'm miserable doing this thing that's making me money or that I think I need to do because my clients need me to keep doing that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I I see the nervous system addiction, the burnout cycle of the brain telling you, you need to keep doing this thing, there's no other option. And for me personally, having people to support me in that like reflection and identification process is really important. Like I need people to reflect back to me, oh, you're in this cycle. You don't see that there's a door over here that you're not walking through, but that door is there and it's waiting for you. And so I both need people to reflect back to me and I usually need to go through like, I don't know, somewhere between, I would say three to six months of dancing around it in my head. Like, okay, yeah. I think I need to leave this thing. I need I need to stop doing this service. I need to stop working in this way. And I'll just bounce it around in my head for a really long time because I have to talk myself out of that addiction. I have to talk mm-hmm. myself into understanding that I have agency, that I have power, that I have a choice, that I don't need to keep doing this thing that that sucks my soul out of my body and buries me into the ground. I have to really move through a process of of hearing people and then talking myself through it and coming back to trusting. And again, sometimes that takes like a month, but I think at the minimum it's taken me three and usually takes me almost six to then make a move to say, okay, now I'm done. And when I do make that move and say, okay, now I'm done, uh, normally I feel a huge weight lift and that's when I know it's right. The minute I start to actually take the steps to leave the the gig or stop providing the service, I feel a weight lift. I feel space. I feel like I can care for myself again. And that's the sweet spot where I know like I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, but it's so hard when I'm in the nervous system brain addiction mode to Mm -hmm. see and trust that and to even know that I have an option. So I think one of the first things I usually do with folks, and this is directly inspired by my work with Brooke, is to say and reflect back, you're telling me you're miserable. You're telling (laughs) me you don't wanna show up for this client meeting, right? That you don't wanna work with this population anymore. And I also hear that you feel obligation or you feel fear or you feel that you need it for financial reasons. But 
the next thing I always look at is like, what else are you doing that lights you up? And I think systems like capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and all of it really disconnect us from our bodies and really disconnect us from self-trust and a place of knowing and a, and a place of, of noticing when something is, is draining us and when something is lighting us up. And so I think yeah. reflecting on like, oh, look, this is draining, this is lighting me up. And then how can I do more of that and trust that I can let go of the thing that's draining me is it's a process. Yeah. Well, and I think those systems, not only did they make that disconnection, but I think there's a real story that there's a story that your work isn't a place to be lit up. Like mm -hmm. that, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, like work is sacrifice, work is hard. That's what earns the money. And I was just thinking how growing up in with a entrepreneurial role model as you did, you know, I hear both sides of that from some of the clients I work with. There's the people who didn't have any role model, like the only model they saw was you have to get a jobby job. And so if you do anything else, it's really unsafe. But I also hear of the people who grew up with an entrepreneurial parent who saw really the way it has been up until kind of recently, which is, oh, the only way to do this is to be in constant stress, constant hustle. You're going twice as hard as anybody with a jobby job if you actually want to make that work. is Was that your experience with your dad's business? 100%. And he said, I mean, he modeled for me like overworking and, and almost like an obsession with work. Um, he modeled it for me and then essentially asked me to enter that same arena with him when I was managing his business. And I, I did a bit, but I also created so much, um, so many systems for myself that I was getting the job done in a shorter period of time. And so I said to him, like, you see that I'm doing the work, you can trust me, I'm going to go to yoga teacher training, or I'm going to go get a master's degree, like, I can do both. And he, I think together, we helped him rewrite some narratives too, because he started taking more space for himself. And he started working less. He's still a little addicted to work, I'd say even in retirement, which is like, the, the joke of all of it, right? But I feel like too, when I started my business, he explicitly said to me, you're gonna have to work your butt off. You're gonna have to mm -hmm. overwork. You're, this is how it's gonna be. And I'm constantly now since, the, I mean, I, I took his message and then later came back and said, I don't think that's true. I don't think that we're supposed to um, live to work, right? And I think that our, and I had to say to him, I think my generation is talking about something different. And I think what we're doing is challenging those old paradigms and, and reclaiming our right to rest and care and reclaiming our right to, to work to live, right? Or maybe to do work that we enjoy doing and that gives us pleasure and, and, yeah. and inspiration. And, I, you know, we've had that conversation a lot and I keep having to have it with myself too, clearly, obviously. But yeah, it was, it was definitely modeled for me that you live to work. And that's the only option. And whether that's for yourself or, and as you're, in your words, a jobby job, like either way, you are beholden to work. And I, mm -hmm. I know that some of us are and, and don't have agency around that because of the way our culture is designed. But I have, have found a way and, and with my privileges have created a life where that's not what I'm doing. Um, and I continually have to come back to paying attention to that habit because it does feel like a slippery slope that I can easily get swept back up in and where I'm working on a weekend. And I have to be very clear about boundaries because that's not how I want to be um, in my life. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, it's making me think of another shift that I think is happening in entrepreneurship that you are definitely a big part of, I can see in your work. And since you're sharing what your dad said with you, I'll say that my dad, who comes from more of a background of he's an academic, and when I first opened my yoga studio, he made this comment. He was probably partly joking, but he's like, oh, you're a capitalist now. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't take it super uh, intensely, but I was aware that at least in his way of thinking and kind of the way it has been, if you are in business, you're a capitalist, and that mm -hmm. just means one thing about you. And it has taken me years to really unpack and find within entrepreneurship integrity and ways forward that I actually can see are incredibly liberating, especially to 
people who have been historically marginalized and don't succeed as as much as they should and deserve to in the more traditional systems of success. And entrepreneurship is an incredible opportunity for those people. So I would love to, I guess, talk a little bit more about about your perspective on how we are shifting the world of business and marketing and all of these pieces to really change the face of capitalism and to reclaim justice within those systems. Yeah, I think that we live in a capitalist culture, but we don't have to succumb to capitalist paradigms. That we can we can use our work and our finances and our income for intentional change, right? And so a big part of what I do in the marketing work is 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 name all of that complexity. I I don't think that marketing is about sales pitches, manipulation, um, deceit, putting on a, a certain show. I actually think it's about relationship building um, and community building and service. That is the lens through which I approach my marketing work um, and, the, and the way that I teach marketing. And I think that it's really, you know, systems like capitalism do teach us uh, you have to be constantly selling, you have to put on a show. Um, it doesn't matter if it's true, just like make it look good. And I think we can pivot and orient more towards what actually feels good for me. How often do I actually want to post on social media? Um, how much capacity do I have to spend time on social media? Do I have capacity to put out a newsletter this month? Nope. Okay, great. No newsletter. Like, I think that's the place we can come from is coming back to ourselves and honoring our, our energies and our creative inclinations. Um, and I think, too, we can use our marketing as a place to build relationship, build community, center relationship, center community, rather than transaction. And, and through that, we make actual meaningful connections with people rather than transactional connections with people. And I think when we do that, we're more aligned with service. And so when we approach our marketing through that community or relationship building lens, we can think about, for example, one of the things that I often say is like, you're already doing something in your work that you could teach in your marketing. And immediately people say, well, why would I teach this thing in my marketing? Don't I want people to pay me to get that thing from me? And, and I'll say, look, yes, sure. But if you teach and give people a taste of what it is you're offering, they'll be more likely to show up for the workshop or the training mm -hmm. or the class or the service. And you always have more to give when you show up for that moment, that live exchange, right? So teaching mm -hmm. something in your marketing isn't taking anything away from you, but it is giving something to your audience. And that's one of the ways that we can actually think about building relationship and being in service and being oriented towards community rather than the transaction. There's so much fear mindset that comes up and scarcity mindset that comes up when we think about how we're, quote, supposed to be approaching marketing. Like it's supposed to look a certain way. You're supposed to be very clear about not giving anything away for free, right? God forbid. But I, I think that that's the antithesis of what we could be doing in our marketing. And when we when we flip the script and approach it from a different way, it, feel, it can feel so much better. It feels like something we don't have to force necessarily or something that we don't have to like should our way through. And we can really orient towards what do folks need or... What's lighting me up right now? Like one of the things that I often do in my, in when I'm marketing my own work is I notice what I'm really angry about, <laughs> like when it comes mm -hmm. to like the conversation about trans rights, for example, and, or, or the conversation about abortion access and how often folks like me who are trans and non-binary aren't seen or included in that conversation, right? And so when I, when I notice myself getting fiery and agitated, I immediately think, oh, this is a piece of marketing. This is a place where I can contribute my voice to an existing conversation in a way that maybe I don't see this voice being shared or this perspective being shared. And when I do make that contribution, it takes the conversation someplace new. It offers education and invites people into reflecting on something maybe they hadn't thought about before. And then they can possibly, maybe, hopefully, think of me next time they realize they need to take a workshop on the subject, right? Because I've yeah. already showed them what I do and how I approach things and what I care about and what my thoughts are. And so there's 
you know, one of the things that marketing experts will teach you is to build the no like and trust factor. And mm-hmm. I think that is valuable, but yeah. we can do it from a genuine, authentic and aligned place with ourselves and not from a place of manipulation and sales pitching and transactions and deceit. And so this yeah. is what I'm talking about is like, I notice what's lighting me up first. I notice what I'm passionate about first. And then I put that into my marketing and that brings people into the conversation in a genuine connected way and not in a Tristan's just pitching another workshop, you know, way. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That's great. I just, I recently had one of the business mentors I've been working with, Kelly Deals has, was just on the mm-hmm. podcast and her work is very similar where she talks a lot about centering your work, right? Your teaching. It it makes me think of my first business coach or mentor would always say, people are not paying for information. They're paying for integration. Mm. And so, you know, information is free. It's everywhere. (laughs) You know, if people just want to learn a how-to, they're Googling, they're looking at YouTube, it's everywhere. So you don't have to be so precious with your information that you have, because that is not what people at the end of the day are really going to pay you for. And the integration is so valuable and it's something that can't be replicated without the relationship that you're building. Mm, Yeah, I love that. It it also makes me think of what you were saying, makes me think a bit about another value or pillar that I've kind of noticed being part of the space beyond scarce work that I've been working with, which is how do we shift out of this culture of scarcity? And one of the features is generosity. Mm. And that doesn't mean just giving it, giving everything and overgiving and never getting what you need. But it does mean trusting that if you give your best, kind of like what you're describing, you can give your best ideas and it's going to amplify resource rather than deplete. You don't have a finite uh, pool of brilliance within you. It is just your light shining, right? So if you let it shine and you let people receive it, you're not going to run out. Absolutely. I think I absolutely agree with you because I'm experiencing that for myself for sure. And I think the next thing that comes to mind is the importance of boundaries in that process too. And I, mm-hmm. I say that only because when I first started um, marketing the equity inclusion work that I do, and I was essentially just like teaching about gender for free on social media, right. um, I was getting a lot of questions like, okay, so you say this, but what does this mean? And how do I use these pronouns? And what am I supposed to say when so-and-so tells me this? And what if somebody uses two sets of pronouns? And how do I language this in my yoga class? So many, for more than a year, comments and and direct messages asking me for additional labor. And, And I had to get very clear over time that I don't owe anyone that labor, that mm-hmm. I can give my knowledge away on my own terms and that there is a never ending pool of it to, to pull from, but I have to know when to stop, stop with the giving, right? Um, yeah. I get to say I'm giving this, but I don't give this. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really big process for me because I, I don't think I, I think I was so eager to please people, to win them over I was so eager to prove that my work and that I have value. I was so eager to prove that I I have knowledge. Um, And in the process, I was kind of stealing from myself, right? Um, And letting myself be taken advantage of. And then essentially giving emotional labor for free to people on the internet because of my (laughs) own experience with my gender and, and identity. And I, I've had to really pull back and say, I don't answer these questions in the comments, right? I don't respond to DMs that are asking me for additional labor. You can take a workshop with me. You can hire me for a, a session or a training for your organization or whatever it might be. But I give this thing away and I have plenty more to give and I can trust that. But it has to be on my terms and I have to know when to stop and when to hold boundaries and when to respect my own time and and labor and lived experience and that's a that's an ongoing process and practice yeah 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 i really appreciate you sharing that part of it i do think that's so important and it almost sounds like what people are really asking for in those comments and dms in a way they're asking for integration they're saying will you help me figure out how what you're saying applies specifically to me and what i'm doing which mm-hmm. is really that next level of work that 
the boundary becomes, nope, this is no longer <laughs> just a piece of information that I've offered freely. This is now you wanting integration and there is a way to pay me for that. And that is actually the foundation of the business. And it's a really good, it's part of the justice work to make sure that your business can thrive and be sustained so that you can keep doing the work. Yeah. And I think our culture, dominant culture has many of us with more privileged identities kind of conditioned to believe that we can just ask people who are more marginalized or oppressed for their for their time and their knowledge and their lived experience and their labor and not compensate them um, or honor that exchange in any way. Um, this goes back to the reality upon which the United States was founded, which is slavery, right? And Southern mm -hmm. colonialism. And it's still playing out in different forms. And I think so much, you know, it, it's it's hard in my brain to understand, look, I am white, I'm able-bodied, I have a master's degree, I have so many points of privilege, and I'm a trans person. Like, when I say it out loud, I'm like, my brain wants to explode out of my body because it's only something that I've come to understand about myself in the last like four years. So it's it's new information to me, but it when I understand that part of this head explosion experience is a result of oppression, right? Like I didn't know my gender because trans people are othered because transness is not represented in the mainstream media. Transness is seen as a as a mental health condition or something we need to protect people from. And so now that I'm starting to understand that my gender and sexuality, those parts of my identity are experiencing harm all the time. And somebody coming into my comments or DMs and asking me for that integration moment is actually harmful and perpetuating this system, right? Where we, where some of us are taught that we can take from some without a giving or out without an exchange. And I have to, again, continually come back to understanding I don't owe anyone my emotional labor. I don't, I want to teach about my identity. I want to teach to make the world safer for trans folks and for queer folks, but I don't owe anybody that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing for me to digest. Uh, and I'm, it's, it's something I'm definitely still digesting. And that's where my boundaries have to come in to help me remember that I'm choosing to do this work, which means I get to choose it on my terms. I get to choose where the lines are around it. But I don't owe anybody free stuff, right? Um, at, mm -hmm. at specifically not relating to my lived experience as someone who's, who's othered and marginalized and oppressed in, in my transness, right? Yeah. It makes me curious because I've been recently I was rereading the book, The Art of Asking by Amanda mm -hmm. Palmer, which I love her perspective on this because I do think generally in the culture, it's considered uh, when you ask for something, people are very timid about asking for things, actually. And there is a concern that if I ask for too much, I will cause harm. So it makes me curious because what I'm hearing is that actually that's true in some of your experience that people over asking has kind of been harmful. But it also makes me curious how people might have shifted the way they asked to not be harmful so that we could both affirm that asking or saying, oh, you started a conversation and I want to be part of that conversation isn't a bad thing. Because I think we're living through a really confusing moment where people do want to engage and understand and they don't really know. Of course, they don't know that they're causing harm through that asking. Do you have a I guess any, I'm going to ask for some free tips here, Tristan, oh, <laughs> but you know, but I mean, in, and I know that, you know, a lot of what you teach is around this reduction of harm in, in conversation. So I'm curious if anything comes up as I'm asking that. Yeah. I mean, I think the asking piece is really crucial. And to your point, like not something many of us are taught how to do, just asking for consent, asking for permission, asking where the boundaries are, you know, asking for what we need even isn't something that we're taught how to do. And so I, I think when it comes to these moments where we see that there's a learning process happening for ourselves, we want to learn more, we want to engage. First, think about the relationship you have with the person. Do you have one? Or are they just some random person you follow on the internet, right? Because if you have a relationship, then maybe you can lean in and say, can I ask you a follow-up question about what you share? And then you give that person a place of agency to say, no, now's not a good time. Or sure, and here's my scheduling link. This is how that's done, right? Um, right. And, and if you don't have a relationship, then dig around. Um, 
look to see, does this person take DMs? Do they have a policy on how they respond to comments? Have they articulated that somewhere? Is there a scheduling link in their bio or on their website that says, you know, you can pick my brain for a 30 minute meeting or you can hire Mm -hmm. me? Find a way. Also think, too, about your privilege. Is this person less proximal to power than you? If so, pay them for their labor, whether you've asked them a question or not. Send them money to buy a cup of coffee, you know, donate to their tip fund, um, you know, or their scholarship fund or whatever it might be, and don't necessarily ask them for more of their time and and expertise. And to your point too, I think, especially in the realm of social media, a lot of us get swept up in the nervous system activation that's taking place there, right? Anytime we open Mm -hmm. an app like Instagram, our brain is doing all sorts of brain stuff. Um, (laughs) And I think that it's hard to sometimes remember this information is probably out there. It's probably available on the internet if I Google it. And instead, I I see so many people just insisting on getting it from these particular sources on Instagram. And I think it's really important to come back to knowing that we do have a lot of information available. It does take some work to find it. That's okay. We do have to be critical about our sources and understand who's saying what and, and from what lens. And... I think that the last thing I want to say is to also be mindful that, you know, when we are looking for that integration piece and somebody is sharing some, you know, quote, free kernel of wisdom for us, are are they also advertising a, a, a public offering that we could contribute to or be part of that we could join for where we could have that integration? Um, and, and that's something to consider in addition to, knowing that the information is already probably out there and that we just have to dig for it. I see so many white folks in particular, like asking folks of color, okay, but what do we do? And it's like, that mm-hmm. that conversation is happening. You don't have to turn to one person on the internet who is a person of color and ask them what to do. There are books about what we're, what we as white people need to do. Go buy the books, read, read the books, read the articles, <laughs> yeah. listen to the podcasts. Like, there's so much out there. I, I think that we can get lost in the, the brain chemistry process that takes place when we're on social media and forget that we need to do the hard work and the heavy lifting of, of consuming that education and information and, and digesting it. And it's not up to people to do it for us. I think you just gave some incredible, super actionable tips of cool. exactly how to do that. And it actually makes me think a bit about it's even a deeper conversation or a broader conversation about how to be a decent person on the Internet. Yes. I think I could just capture everything you just said and say, this is how we be people on the Internet, where I think a lot of for a lot of folks, their normal social skills go out the window. They don't understand how to engage in a pro-social, respectful way, in the same way that they maybe would in person. Yeah, I always say lately, especially that the internet is just like a big conference hall and everybody's showing up and teaching their thing or putting out their business card or showing you this is their new website. How can we approach social media like we would a, a networking conference and really respect that these are connections that we're potentially making or risking? And really think about how we show up to represent ourselves and care for ourselves and care for the person we're seeking to connect with and show respect and show regard uh, and not just take, 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 take. And I think that all of our social skills are a little uh, wonky at this point in time. And so many of us have spent so much time on the internet for socialization And I I think we need to remember that there are people with emotions and lives and livelihoods on the other end of these screens who we can directly impact in positive or negative ways. Yeah, absolutely. It it feels a little bit like this conversation we're having around the old models of entrepreneurship and capitalism versus the new models. And One of those pieces that I think it's taken me a while to shift my mindset around is like not every advertisement is associated with some giant 
nameless, faceless corporation. Most of so much of what we're seeing, yeah, there's like one person behind this, or there's you know, it's a small team, or it's it's really vulnerable for people to be sharing the way that they are in this new model of small business. And it is like I love your image of picture yourself at the conference hall or like walking around the the market, the farmer's market with the little booths, you know, it's just that only it's virtual. So these are real people with real lives, real feelings, real nervous system responses to how you're talking to them. <laughs> so it's yeah. almost about like, how are people consuming what is being offered? Because yeah. I do think some people are showing up as the consumers of, of what is there. There's a little bit of that entitlement that comes along mm -hmm. with being the consumer of it. So yeah, it's an interesting reframe on how we might approach both as the business owner and marketer, but also as the person receiving it, how to yeah. engage a little differently. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't have anything to say in response <laughs> to that. You nailed it. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'd love to know a little more about where you're doing a lot of different things, it seems like. So is there a primary place where you would like for people to go to, to check out, you know, are you currently enrolling in a particular workshop that you're directing people towards, or do you have a, a source that you tend to put everything, like, where do you want people to go if they want to engage yeah. with your work? Great question. My website is a good spot. That's cats-creative.com. It's K-A-T-Z and then the minus sign creative.com. That has a full list of all my upcoming offerings. I think the two that I want to highlight in this moment is one that is focused on marketing uh, through a justice and equity lens, and it's called Conscious Marketing. It is primarily designed for yoga teachers, but anybody who is an entrepreneur would get something out of it. It's I think it's an 18-hour online course. It starts in June, and it's hosted by Accessible Yoga School, who's doing incredible work in the realm of, of yoga and accessibility and equity. And over the course of the, I believe it's 18 hours, we're going to talk about social media, websites, newsletters, all with an awareness that some of the things we've talked about are at play, like relationship building, community building, leaning into finding our voice, being authentic, understanding our roles and responsibilities, giving, given our identities, understanding self-care and boundaries and how to create relationships on the internet in a meaningful way. So that's one thing that I want to highlight. And the other is that if, if you, dear listener, are new to the nuances of gender, um, and the fact that trans people uh, not just exist, but deserve to thrive and that we all have work to do in relationship to trans justice, particularly right now, given the unprecedented amount of anti-trans legislation sweeping the country. I have a 12-hour workshop series this September that's called Creating Safer Spaces, Embodying Your Commitment to Trans Inclusion. It's for anybody, anybody who holds space, which is basically most of us in some form or another, anybody who's a, a parent or seeking to quote, be an ally, or maybe a teacher or a school administrator or a yoga instructor. I really want to support folks in understanding that we can't guarantee safe spaces. I think that whole phrase is really problematic and cuts us off from the deeper conversation that we need to engage in about what happens when it's, something isn't safe for someone. Um, mm -hmm. What happens when harm does occur? How do we create an environment where accountability around those moments can be practiced and cultivated? Where, again, like meaningful relationship across lines of identity difference can happen. How do we show up for other people who hold different identities and are having different lived experiences? So that workshop series over the course of 12 hours, all online. We dive deeply into gender, what it is and what it isn't. We talk about trans identity. We talk about queerness in all of its forms. And then we, we get into like nitty gritty practices around shifting our language, reconsidering our marketing and understanding that we can say we're inclusive or we can say that we're allies. But what happens when somebody actually shows up? To the thing that you're offering? Are they going to feel included? Are they going to feel allyship? Um, or is it just a buzzword and, and kind of meaningless because we think we need to put it into our marketing, right? Um, yeah. So that's what that space is for. And I, I really hope that folks will show up for it because we really need people to be in this conversation. And I feel protective over trans kids in particular and kids of all gender identities. Like yeah. if we had just had this conversation when I was a kid, I would have been saved from so much pain 
and suffering for decades. And I think that every kid is being impacted by the constructs of gender and we need to start talking about it. And it's scary and hard, but it doesn't have to be. So I hope folks will be, will, will feel that invitation in their bones and in their body and, and accept it if they're interested. Yeah. Mm, it sounds so great. I'm going to check it out. I would love to, to be there too. So, well, thank you for sharing all of that. You also have a great podcast, which we won't say the full name of here simply because then I have to check the little box that says there's explicit content. Yes. But, you know, it's all the F in and yes. <laughs> you can find that. It's it's great. I've, I've heard a couple episodes and I aspire to listen to many more. I really appreciate the conversations that you're having there that really are a lot of what we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. Of It sounds like. Um, do you want to actually take a moment just to describe the what your podcast is about? Yeah, it's really about bridging the intersection of entrepreneurship and social justice and understanding that we don't have to choose between social change work or activism work and being successful as entrepreneurs. And so the podcast, which I, I co-host with my friend and colleague, Lauren Roberts, we just primarily interview folks who are working at the intersection of entrepreneurship and social justice. And we talk about how they got to doing the work that they're doing in the world, some of the challenges that come up, some of the, the gifts and takeaways that come up. And we just explore really organic conversations about the, those themes and the way that they actually can connect, even though systems like capitalism would tell us otherwise, like keep your work and your values separate. Like we're, we're reclaiming the possibility of, of aligning our values with our work and really creating work that just doesn't just like nourish us, but supports cultural change. Yeah. And it's a really fun project. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, totally. I, I'm excited about it. Well, thank you so much, Tristan. I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was great to catch up and hear more about your journey and your work. And you will, I'm sure, be seeing me in one of your upcoming workshops. I definitely am going to check them out. Thanks, Kate. It's really great to connect with you again. I appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Space Beyond Scarce. If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you. Thank you.